Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So, I want to start with a story. There once lived a water carrier. Every morning, as soon as the sun rose, she walked from her home to collect water with two earthen pots. Pots that hung from a long pole that she carried across her shoulders. One pot was perfect, although the shape and size of the other pot had a crack in its side. So whenever they returned to the water carrier's house, it was only ever half full. The uncracked pot was proud and pleased with itself. It was doing its job properly. For years, the water carrier repeated her journey to and from her house, collecting water from the river. And as the years passed, the cracked pot created a story in its own head about its level of worthiness and inability to perform its job properly. Eventually, the pain and the shame that it felt about its own perceived imperfections became too much for it to bear. So one day, as the water carrier knelt beside the river, and began the usual task of filling the pots, the crack pot found its voice and said, I'm so sorry, for years and years I've watched you fill me with water, and I can only imagine what a fruitless task it must be for you. As whenever we return home, I'm only ever half full, while in comparison this other pot is perfect. Really a drop is spilt on our long walk back, but I'm far from perfect. This crack in my side, not only does it cause me hurt and shame, but it must cause you to want to get rid of me. Surely I am making this long, arduous journey that you do each day that much more difficult. I can understand if you are thinking of getting rid of me and replacing me with another perfect pot. The water carrier listened with both care and compassion. The crackpot story of unworthiness and shame was not the one that she recognised. For this was not what she thought of the pot. She thought the cra- she knew about the crack, but did not see it as an imperfection or something that made it less worthy than the other pot. Gently, she turned to the pot and said, On our return, walk home. I want you to look up and to the side of you. For too long, it would seem you have been looking down, comparing yourself to others, and not noticing how you and the crack that you have in your side has brought untold beauty into my life. Puzzled the crack, wonder what on earth a word meant. She seemed to be suggesting that its story of lack, unworthiness and shame was in some way faulty. As to how this could be, it couldn't understand. However, the crack pot trusted the carrier. It occurred to it that in all the time it had journeyed with her, she had never had a harsh word, never scorned at it, never laughed at it, but had always shown a sense of gratefulness and care, even when filling it with water. So on the return journey, it listened to the water carrier's words. It looked out. In its former depressed state, it had not noticed that along the path that they travelled, there was a dazzling array of beauty, colour and life. The water carrier in her wisdom, knowing of the crack in the pot side, had sprinkled seeds along the path. These seeds were watered every day as a result of the crack in the pot. And that path that had once been barren and devoid of life was now coloured in beautiful wildflowers. Now the cracked pot understood. 
Now the crackpot began to see in itself a new light. Now it understood it, hadn't, it had been telling itself a faulty story. It, if its experience of being a crackpot was going to change, then it would need to change the story it was telling itself. So this morning we're continuing our series on the path of discipleship. And our text comes from Luke 9, 22 to 25. And it'll appear on the screen in a moment. So Jesus was speaking to the disciples about who he was and asking, and asking them questions. And then we read these profound words. And they seem negative words. They seem, yeah, similar to the crack, how the crack pots are life. And Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So last week, Andy opened us up in this new series, showing us that Jesus called his disciples to follow him. And we know that following by definition means giving over control and direction to someone else. And this week, if that's the case, then this week as we follow on, we're looking at then unpacking some of that in this we're denying ourselves and disregarding ourselves. And it's not a position we like to take. It feels so negative. And it felt negative to the disciples back then with what Jesus is saying here. Early in the story of Jesus, though, at his baptism, his cousin John cries out when he sees him. This is the one I spoke to you about. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So right there at Jesus' baptism, with crowds and disciples gathered around, there's a pointer to what the message of the kingdom entails. Lambs in the Jewish tradition were symbols of sacrifice. So maybe the lamb was going to be crucial to Jesus' story. No one seems to notice it. So with everything else going on, with heaven opening and the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove, no one noticed it at the baptism. But as the profoundness is lost... Yet, as we start to go through the Gospels, and if we take a journey with Jesus, like those pots journeyed every day with the carrier, we can see that Jesus was doing amazing miracles and teaching up to this point in his ministry. He told parables. He calmed the storm. He set people free from disease and oppression. He healed the woman with the 12-year illness and raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus back to life. Luke even tells us that the people still saw Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher to the people. At the start of chapter 9, there's an apparent pause for Jesus, but a new challenge for the disciples. They are commissioned with authority and power to go out and do what Jesus had been doing. See, disciples are not only listeners to their rabbi, to their teacher, but also they're to practice what the teacher has done. And we know that the disciples couldn't do none of it in their own strength or power. They needed God's authority and power to come upon them. And they saw miracles when they went out. They saw healing and people delivered. They saw the power of God at work. And they came back to tell Jesus their stories of what they'd seen and what they'd they'd heard. 
yeah, as the disciples came back into that quiet place with Jesus, they did, it wasn't quiet for long. The crowds followed. There was something about Jesus that they wanted, but it wasn't necessarily his teaching. They saw the miracles. They saw amazing things done. They saw the blind see, the deaf hear. They saw a massive crowd fed with five loaves and two fish. Elisha had fed 100 people with 20 loaves. Yet this was only five loaves. And the crowd was much bigger, probably 150 times the size. So what is it about Jesus? Who is he? And that question was being asked not just by his disciples, not by those who followed. Herod was even starting to ask the question. Herod just took the head off John the Baptist. But now he's hearing from the crowd that Jesus is John risen from the dead. But dead men don't come back to life, do they? Still others thought Elijah or one of the prophets. He had just performed an Elisha miracle. Jesus then knowing what has been said, turns to the disciples and asks them what can be seen as a gentle warm-up question. Who do the crowds say that I am? The disciples know they've been hearing it. They've been hearing the crowds. John the Baptist, he say, or Elijah, or one of the prophets. But that's easy. It's easy to comment on what others say and believe. You're not attached to it. There's nothing personal at stake. I'm just passing on this information. It doesn't affect me. It's outside of my story. It doesn't impact my life. But Jesus pivots away from the crowds to them. And his next question is, who do you say that I am? Now it's more personal. This band has been with Jesus. They've witnessed the miracles. They've heard his teaching on the good news of the kingdom. They had gone out in power and authority and seen the same things happen. There's a decision to be made. Who exactly is Jesus? Jairus' servants had called him teacher. John the Baptist had called him the Lamb of God. Jesus called himself, I am, which in the Old Testament was placing himself equal with God. But who do they think he is? And we get no idea how long it took, but if we, listen, if we look at the other stories, Peter probably answers really quickly. <laughs> Jumps straight in there, and his response is outrageous but true. And in Luke 9.20, he goes, you are the Christ of God. In other words, the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised saviour of Israel. But what type of Messiah, what type of saviour, what story is this going to take? The Jewish story was that the Messiah involved political freedom. Freedom from Rome, freedom from armies running over them throughout the centuries, pushing back the Gentiles, returning the land, returning the temple, to its supposed glory days of, of your when everything was perfect in the nation. It involved warfare, power and glory, and would have resulted in death, much death. It was a human response, a human means of saving themselves. So did Peter and now imagine tactics boards to be unveiled, lines on a map, going from Galilee down to Jerusalem from all sides, like, like you see on the, on the news about where, where armies are in war or on football managers' tactics boards, drawn up battle lines in which towns to take strategically first. 
For we know Peter thinking, we've done the propaganda mission. We've fed them. We've healed them. The Romans and our leaders haven't done this. We've taught them the message of the kingdom. The people are with us. Up to now, everything feels positive. The Messiah fits into their story. Let's strike, let's go. But, Jesus says, the radical difference of what Jesus would show them as being what the Messiah meant would initially crush Peter. Like the cracked pot, he got an answer he was not expecting. Peter believing the golden age of Israel is upon them and he's going to be part of it now faces up to reality of what Jesus as Messiah means. Rather than white stallions and marching on Jerusalem with Romans fleeing before them, Jesus says he's going to suffer many things and be rejected by the leaders and be killed and be raised the third day. This message messes with Peter's understanding of championing the cause of Israel. The Lord Jesus' message couldn't be further from what Peter expected. But which way would Peter go? Would he see the story differently if Jesus was who he says he was? See, this story appears in the other Gospels as well. And in Matthew and Mark, we read that Peter can't help but correct Jesus, the one who was just called the Messiah. So in Matthew 16, 22, we read, Peter took, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. You're not going to do this, Lord. It, it won't happen to you. Peter wanted another story. A way that fitted with his thinking. A way he could understand from his own upbringing, his own teaching, his own context. Yet God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, does not work like this of our understanding. In the unique upside-down kingdom of heaven, victory comes by death and going down. Paul unpacks this beautifully in, two, in Philippians chapter 2, talking of Jesus leaving heaven, coming down as a servant, and going to the cross. We so often look for power to protect us and to use. Power feels good. Yet in the gospel, true power and peace come in surrender by giving everything to Jesus and recognising him as the Messiah, as the Lord, and that we are in need of a saviour. Jesus, we read, surrendered his divine privileges to pay the ransom for us. What they thought Jesus should have been like was more important to them than who Jesus actually showed himself to be. Some we read in John 6 in their pride in what they thought the story was. They found it impossible to follow and they returned home. They, Jesus was too offensive for them. They couldn't stand the story that, they, that, they, that was now being told. But can we know better than God? In God, that was, and that was the, the lie of, of Satan in the garden. You will be as God. You will, you, will, you will have a greater part in the story. In God's story, we may struggle to understand. We may even find things hard to believe. If Jesus is the Messiah, then my thoughts and story I'm telling about life needs to change. Not Jesus's. Are we trying to rewrite Jesus into our story to fit around our lives? Is he Lord of our lives or a mere addition? 
The Old Testament speaks of prophets who said nice things when God was calling for judgment. They rejected the prophets who warned them. Those prophets who warned didn't change the story that God was giving. They spoke what God said. And the story that we're giving, the message that we're giving is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Repent, turn around, confess Jesus as Lord. And we are in his story and in need of a saviour. Get in line, die to self, live life in the shadow of the cross daily. Do that by the power of the Spirit. If Christ has died for our sin, if Christ is risen and, and has conquered death, if we know Christ will come again and raise his church to new life with him, then we have to recognise the story is his, not ours. We are not in control. We are choosing to accept the Jesus way and follow his example and not go our own way. Yet we are worried that people will turn away. Like Peter, we stand in the way of Jesus and try something else. We offer, we try, people try and offer something else. Something that draws big crowds and looks good. And so like Peter, Jesus rebukes us because we all act like Peter. Like Peter, we want Jesus to confirm our presumptions that we can understand the way the world works as if God does not exist. And that's not the path of discipleship. We don't want our everyday disrupted. But Jesus is the disruption of time needed if we're to live faithfully. Jesus tells, Jesus tells his disciples they have to, to follow him. They must take up their cross. If they seek to save their lives using the ways of the world to ensure their existence, then their lives will be lost. So in this new narrative of the Messiah story, in the upside downness, they must be willing to lose their lives for my sake, says Jesus, if they are to find life. But Jesus isn't telling them to live only lives more unselfish and therefore more satisfying. Instead, Jesus says that any sacrifices they make must be for his sake. The cross they bear must be determined by his cross. And we all must take up ours daily. Our crosses may look different to each other, depending on who we are and where, where we are in life. But we're all called with the same story, with the same idea. Will we follow Jesus? We often hear of Jesus fulfilling every need and sow a seed and get gazillions back. But Jesus says in this passage, what profit is it to gain everything and die without him? The farmer who built bigger and bigger barns was ensuring his life with, the, with wealth, with possessions, but he still left the world with nothing. The story he told himself wasn't what the story Jesus was saying. The story of gain is popular because it empowers us and it makes us think we are in control. The more we have, the more we can control our lives, the more protected we are. It lessens who God is. If God is, if Jesus is Messiah, and the way of salvation, then our lives should be marked by surrender, by laying down our rights for the joy of knowing him. Clearly, what Jesus asks of his disciples makes no sense. If not for who he is, 
you do not ask those who, who are following you to follow you to a cross unless you are the son of God. Especially when crosses were a curse to the Jew and to the Romans. Only traitors, slaves and non-Romans were crucified. And the Jewish law taught that anyone who hung on a tree was cursed. And for many today, the story of God dying in our place is still shameful, laughable to others. You don't ask brothers and sisters to anticipate death if you're not the Messiah. But Jesus does and requires his disciples to live lives not determined by death and the fear of death. Free that in life or death, they will point away to the Saviour. We've heard this morning of the of Ukrainian pastors doing exactly that. Bombs going off, they're there. And they're, the fear of death is still there. It's a very real constant, but there's something greater in their lives that they're pointing away to. The disciples do follow Jesus to Jerusalem. Some from a distance. One betrays, one denies. The others run away for a while. However, Jesus fulfills everything about the st- from his story. Death is put to death. Sin is crushed. Whilst Peter had feared the death of the Messiah, the upside-down kingdom of God brought life in all its fullness. Christ had died, Christ was risen, and Christ will come again. It forced them to rethink. The cross changes the story, and it's still changing people's stories today. Post the resurrection, the disciples could look back and they could see the seeds that were sown by Jesus, by the prophets from the Old Testament that pointed to who the Messiah really would be. They could see the message of the story. We get the story later on after the resurrection of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples who still had this idea of the all-conquering Messiah. And Jesus opens the scriptures and shows them from the story who he is. And then after Pentecost, as a result of the suffering Messiah, those who had followed began to be remade with the power of the Spirit in them and the story of the word being preached. Those who denied themselves went and despite storms, hardships and even death, took this gospel of the kingdom to the world. Many faced a similar end to the Messiah but they saw the power and authority they heard and were transformed. And freed from the fear of death, they found themselves free to declare Jesus as the Messiah, the only way to the Father. So what does that mean for us today? We live in Manchester, in the UK. It's physical death doesn't feel very real to us for the gospel in that sense. But we know that brothers and sisters throughout the world this morning of facing that very real prospect. And we should pray for the peace and strength to persevere. To follow Jesus, though, for us is still sacrifice. We are still called to take up a cross daily, prepared to give everything of ourselves, even if it does require life itself. That end may not be required of us, but are we prepared to put to death our own self, our own thoughts, our own presumptions? Our biggest need in, the, in our culture is to die to individualism. The me, myself and I narrative 
that we are our own little islands. We not, we tell our own stories. That we that we stand stand alone. That there is no community, just me and all oh, what I can do, what I can get for myself out of life. Are we prepared to let God in and change us? That we will have to rewrite and rethink our story. Are we worried about what denying ourselves might mean for our relationships, for our time, even for our bank balance, for our jobs, for where we go on, what we do with our leisure time on holidays and things? Have we seen the power of Jesus but don't want to let go of long-held ways of thinking, ways of doing life that we've built up over the years, ways that we project ourselves Project our stories, stories we tell about ourselves. Ultimately, do we see denying ourselves as going without? Do we understand denying ourselves being like a never-ending diet where all chocolate cake is banned? (laughs) So you can't have anything tasty. All we have left is the choice of school canteen, steamed cabbage and broccoli. But I don't think that's what it means. We're called to choose something else. It's choosing Jesus and his way. It's coming back and looking at Jesus and his story and seeing the wonder and beauty of how he stood in our place. The place that we deserved and taking it upon himself. And as Jesus went down to pay the price, we must also go down. We have to die to ourselves, to surrender to Jesus, to not put ourselves first, called to get out the way and let Jesus lead, called to point to the Messiah and not act as gatekeepers, called to allow the Messiah to step into the mess and do his work in people, to see change in ourselves and in others as a celebration of the goodness of God. That coming to Jesus means we will change. That means we think differently, see his story and who he is, as he really is, and to pick it up daily. Peter, we know, was challenged to think differently. At first, he failed. But tradition tells us that by the end of his life, Peter was so transformed by the story of Jesus that when he faced crucifixion he has to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy of the same death as his saviour he, 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 the one who would rebuke Jesus for saying this was the way to go now sees that as part of his story and that but maybe because of this and what else he did he's saying he is greater than I am he must increase I must decrease. Peter was transformed by Jesus. And at the end, Peter wasn't looking to fight. He wasn't chopping ears off. He wasn't fearing waves or the questions of a servant girl. He wasn't afraid of being seen eating with non-Jewish believers. He kept re-evaluating and repenting in his story, considering the situations and storms that came against him. And always in light of Jesus' story. He realised that Jesus was in control, working everything for good. 
but not always how he thought good looked like. Good at times looks the opposite of what the world sees, of what we ourselves think is good. But if life, if we are to be true followers of Jesus, life in Christ is found when we lose ourselves and cling to Jesus. And our lives should be ones of constantly re-evaluating ourselves before the claims of Jesus. To help us on the way to show us where we need to change our thinking, where we need to grow, where we need to change our ways, what things to put down and what things to pick up. We need to place our addictions, our illnesses, our heartbreak under him. We need to pick up self-control, patience, kindness as a result of allowing the spirit and word to work within us. So in this life of Christ, is it only about right thinking? Belief and thinking are essential. We know this. Disregarding or denying ourselves is made clear in scripture. But right understanding needs to lead to right action. Our faith should lead us to good works. I've been reading a book about, it's called Spacious Life by Ashley Hales, and she's talking about the goodness of gathered community, about church gathering together. And she writes, we say we want community, but we really like the feeling of community more than the work it requires. We expect community to do something for us, but we're really willing to sacrifice for it. Often we're unwilling to accept the constraint and our personal preferences for the good of our neighbour. But unless we do, we're not living into the spacious life. We often opt for self-improvement plan instead of being built into the house of God. Just as an aside, self is often what the problem is. So why look to self to improve self? We should be looking out. The pot looked out. Rich community in the church builds and grows only through constraint. It happens slowly. It takes years for some things to be dealt with. And, for, and we carry things for years that we wish we didn't have to carry. We have to stick around, live with each other, forgive each other, choose to spend time together, rather than making the best choice for one individual, ourselves. We want church to look like community, but to be like that, we must limit ourselves. We disregard ourselves by choosing to show up at times we'd rather not. Like when there's a semi-final of the Champions League on and, you know, there's a prayer meeting. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I chose football over, over prayer meeting. I admit it. We limit ourselves when we give time to listen, to talk and pray. We deny ourselves when we participate weekly, even when we don't feel like it. We disregard ourselves by giving financially. We limit ourselves by setting up in the, on a Sunday morning, helping in kids' work, pouring coffee, tidying up. And this isn't a list of legals. This is how in Christ, when we, when we are changed and we, are, we, we, we do things not because we're doing them to earn them. We know that he sacrificed and our sacrifice, however small, is for him. We deny ourselves by learning from others much different to ourselves. We disregard ourselves by sharing our life with people. We deny ourselves when after many years of following Jesus, 
we are open still to repentance, to confession, still wanting to lean into his story and what it means for us. Wonderfully, this is the economy of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus we give and find ourselves filled. We lose and yet find gain. We are weak, but he is strong. And as the years go by, we are being formed together with Jesus as our protection and leader who holds us all together. Yet to find this community, we've got to give up our lives as being our own. Pursuing the radicalness of Jesus and his way, we become a people joined together. It's not easy. At times the journey is hard and we face Peter moments. And which story will we choose? Which story will we turn to in that moment? Will we turn to ourselves or will we turn to Jesus and his story? As we draw to a close, which story do we fall back on then? The one where Jesus is who he says he is? Or the one where Jesus is an addition? We think we can live life without him until we're in trouble and then, Lord help me in this moment. And when it gets better, we go back to our own way. If we see that in the story that Jesus is the Messiah, we see the storms and challenges as a way to draw nearer to him, to stay near to him, that we're thankful that when that storm has passed, that he's still near to us. Because nothing in our stories is too big for Jesus. We might feel our cross is great, we might feel that our burden is great, that we're carrying shame for things we've done in the past, that it's too much, Jesus can't help my story, Jesus can't deal with this. But for our history, throughout the church, he's shown that Nothing is too great. Even if we try and run away from the first song, he's there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But yet we want to control our story. But if we want to follow Jesus, then we have to follow his story. And his story is come, follow me. Deny yourself, lay it all down and find life. <coughs> Is Jesus' story the one we're following? Are we being disciples and looking to him as the author and finisher of the story? <laughs>